Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. <laughs> Not yep. waiting until we started recording. So just slid that one right in there. Slipped it in like the young girl slips into the water in this movie and uh whoops whoops <laughs> that was like a rat catcher all over again <laughs> a really really foul like harrowing intro <laughs> for that episode i wasn't sure you'd go there appropriate i guess appropriate uh both in that movie and in this uh which we're going to be talking about on try love thank you so much for listening it's a literal round of a podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the trial and cinema in minneapolis minnesota all of this mush mouth is coming from me um you can find us on twitter at trial of podcast you can find the trial on at trial on cinema and at trial on.org my name is jason Dapness. you know i never do what i'm told and you can find me on twitter at nintendoofus i'm cody narvison i don't know my blood type and you can find me on twitter at cody underscore bh I'm Harry Mackin. You can find me on Twitter at, at, at excuse me, uh, Punished Take. And I want you to destroy the new liberalism that ruins the lives of the people. I was really hoping that would be yours, uh, Harry. Uh, not with us today is uh, former uh, host, current uh, occasional guest, Aaron Grossman. Um, I'll be filling in for him in a couple key moments. Uh, but before we get there, I want to ask, every, like, this was going to be one of my questions. Do you know your blood type, Harry? I know Cody doesn't know his. Do you know your blood type? Um, is this personal identifiable, uh, personally identifiable health information we shouldn't be sharing on a podcast? Or? I, I think it's fine. Sure. I think I'm B. Uh, much like the protagonist of this um, movie, yeah. Uh, nice. I am. I am B positive. Are you sure? Pretty yeah, no, that, sure. Uh, that uh, <laughs> yeah. that came it, it came up during the movie, and I would just re- I paused the movie, and I just on a whim, I was like, I was texting my mother, just like this like, random question, not urgent. Don't freak out. Like I'm not in a situation where I need to know my blood type, but just like, do you know what my blood type is? I feel like once every year or couple of years, I don't know, time is made up. I just, that comes about and I never pursue the act of like finding out my blood type, but apparently you can buy tests that will tell you that, but I don't know, a $7 test that'll tell me my blood type raises a lot of eyebrows uh, too specifically for me. So I don't know. I'll find it out someday though. I feel like a, a real goof for not knowing. Keep us submitted. Well, I I'll think check that out the I, next episode. Yeah. I had a similar situation to the situation in this movie, actually, where I think my mom has always told me that my blood type was O negative, which is the universal donor like mm-hmm. for my entire life. And then I think literally I like went to give blood once and they were like, nah, you're B. And I was like, oh, mm. uh, sorry. I thought my blood was more <laughs> valuable than it is. <laughs> I think it's something like 12% of the population has B or B positive. I'm not sure. It's pretty fairly rare i guess you know yeah it's not as rare as ab which is the rarest and yeah. i don't think it's as rare as a right but i, no, think, I think it's yeah i think it goes like the o's o, the b's then, the a the ab i think that's and right then, and then basically yeah the non-existent uh well thanks guys for that fun check and cody i'll check in again for another episode about your whether or not you found out your blood type or not um for sure but, for sure content yeah. I will remember that. Uh, I'll actually record a quick bit and just play it every at the top of every episode to, to get the Cody's uh, Cody's uh, um, play 
Cody's bloodies. Thank um, you so much. For oh, listening. oh wait, Co- Cody's. Uh, oh fuck, hold on. There's you know I'm gonna look it up in the background. You keep going, Jason. Please do. Uh, while while he does that, I'm gonna take over Aaron's role uh, under licensing from AG Enterprises. I'm gonna is it caplets? The- Are you doing caplets, Cody? Cody's caplets. Was that the no? Idea? Uh, it was. Um, I was gonna say platelets. Hold Cody's capillaries. Fuck, I just had capillaries. Uh, oh, that's not bad. Yeah, uh, ca- carotid? Cara- I don't know how you say it. That was carotid. the one I was thinking of. Carotid, carotid. Like the carotid artery? Yeah. Is that the one um, in the neck that the dude gets his... I think that's uh, jugular. It might be. I forget I which one's the jugular. jugular. Okay. There's a... I only know three arteries. There's the carotid, and then there's the one in the back of your leg, which I can't remember the name of. So I only Yui. know one artery. <laughs> Yuck. Uh, that's one more than I can think of off the top of my head uh, as I prepare to read the li- the patented Aaron Grossman summary under exclusive license from AG Enterprises Limited. Uh, we are talking about Shrimpathy for Mr. Vengeance. It's a 2002 South Korean thriller film by Park Chan-wook. It stars Shin Ha-kyun as Ryu, a deaf-mute factory worker who, with his girlfriend, Yong-mi, con- concocts a plan to humanely kidnap the daughter of the man who runs the company he was fired from. It's a little convoluted. Uh, in-, in exchange for ransom enough to pay his daughter's, excuse me, his sister's jesus his dying sister this is there's a reason the man no it's all right this. we can start his i was i've been listening anyway because you said shrimpathy for mr vengeance we're right talking the about the film shrimpathy for mr vengeance Why in did... 2002 south <laughs> well, <laughs> i don't understand is that a bit what's happening i don't know i just thought it'd be fun uh 2002 <laughs> south korean it's actually called Sym- sympathy for mr vengeance everybody this is podcasting a 2002 south korean thriller film by park chan it stars shin hakyun as ryu uh, a deaf mute factory worker who along with his girlfriend young concocts a plan to humanely kidnap the daughter of the man who runs the company that he was fired from in exchange for ransom enough to pay his dying sister's medical bills. An accident leads to the unintentional death of the girl, spoilers, uh, and her father, played by Song Kang-ho, seeks revenge against Ryu and Yongmi in a tit-for-tat of violence and vengeance. The cast also includes Beiduna, Han Bo-bei, and Im Jae-un. Uh, Critically successful in Asian markets uh, at release, it, also, it garnered, um, excuse me, several critics awards at the time of its release in 2002, and it made its way to the U.S. in 2005, where it re- received sort of a mixed critical response and a very, very, very small opening. Apparently, in time, it has come to be regarded as uh, one of the really standouts of South Korean cinema, um, and it is the first in Park's uh, Vengeance trilogy, as it's called, comprising Mr. Vengeance, Old Boy, and Lady Vengeance, arguably better known movies. But are they better? Period. We'll talk about that as we toss to harry for his thoughts about this movie i think we've all seen this before right i certainly have yeah um what was going on with american critics in uh yeah, 2002 you, or whatever did you look at that same wikipedia page? they were like yes. it's it's too 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 gory and it's just it delights I mean, in its violence it's I, like, I wonder, watching, honestly pal? this is stupid speculation on my part it's 2002 do you think that 9-11 was just like really like brainworming literally everybody's so I mean, hard then. i have to assume yeah i i hate to think it but yeah this is a fucking great movie right like to be clear i think it's like even if you weren't like into the sort of like i mean i guess i can i can sympathize a little bit sympathize with um the fact that it can be kind of a hard movie to get uh your hands on because it's kind of a black comedy in some ways despite being one of the bleakest and saddest and sort of most devastating movies imaginable um to the point where like i think one of the common criticisms of this movie at the time was that it feels almost juvenile in how relentlessly um black and upsetting and sort of cruel it is um i not to sort of like overuse a an overused phrase at this point but i in my mind the cruelty is the point right i think that like this movie is like this 
kind of fascinating dark fable about contemporary Korea and capitalism writ large. It's probably not surprising to anybody that I read this movie largely as a critique of systems and a critique of capitalism, um, specifically of um, like contemporary South Korea uh, and the class system that takes place in uh, contemporary South Korea and it's sort of like version of hyper-capitalism. I think that the movie does a really great job of using its form and its tone and the cold, almost surgical nature of its camera and its um, storytelling to make this really fascinating, almost mockery of the character's pain um, it doesn't read it like I keep calling it things like a dark comedy. It doesn't read like a dark comedy, but just the sheer irony of the movie that that pervades throughout, like the fact that like if it can go wrong, it will go wrong and it will go wrong in the cruelest, most evil possible way that it can go wrong. Right. Like like the um, the main character learns that his sister has miraculously found an organ donor right after he has given the money away. Right. Sort of a gift of the Magi situation or um, the. uh um, there are just endless, countless examples like that, right? Like of, of ironic twists that seem to be twisting the knife, almost as if like this takes place in a world where fate is real and it is hateful and it is out to get these people, right? You get the idea, at least I got the impression, especially watching this time, that like these characters were all damned before the movie even started, right? Like they were on this collision course, this this downward spiral uh, far before the machinations of the movie put them there. And um, the movie is almost relishing it with like this this sort of like sadistic pleasure in watching them arrive at these places where they are going to be corrupted, right? Where the, the things that they love about themselves are going to be turned against them and turned into things that are ugly, right? And I, I think that the movie does a really fantastic job of, of getting us there. Um, and I like, ironically, in the process, I think that the, the title isn't even really ironic. Like, I, I do sympathize for all of these characters, and I even sympathize for the idea of revenge, which is a strange thing to do in a movie like this because I think that the um, the sort of regular response we are supposed to have, quote-unquote, to revenge movies is about the futility of revenge and, and how revenge will destroy you, it will corrupt you, and, and how pointless it is. Uh, this movie, I maybe I'm going to argue in this episode, doesn't quite get there because I think instead it's sort of like it is vengeance is useless in this movie, but the reasons why they arrived there and the reasons why they want their vengeance is maybe more sympathetic just in the sense that there are no other alternatives. <laughs> like they were only ever going to arrive at this place and now they are at that place. Um, and I think that that's like kind of a legitimately really fascinating commentary on the revenge movie and on capitalism and on sort of like critiques of systems that um, I'm excited to talk about. So I'm yeah. kind of a big fan of this movie, I think. And I'm a, obviously a big fan of Park Chan-wook. I don't think this is his best. That is uh, Handmaiden, obviously. Um, or, uh, I mean, Decision to Leave is good, but it's Handmaiden. Uh, and, uh, but I, I can't wait to hear what you guys think as well. Yeah, I too was, I, I had the opportunity to, to listen to this, or excuse me, to watch this movie the first time when uh roommate and frequent guest of Try Love and one of the co-hosts of Puff Puff Movie Pass, go listen to that, Um, it was doing a director watch as recommended by actually us pod boys. Uh, month to month, he would do uh, every week a movie by um, 
uh, different directors every month, but every week, one of their movies and sympathy for, for Mr. Vengeance and Lady Vengeance were both part of the Park Chan Wook series as was uh, Handmaiden. And uh, I had the opportunity to watch it then. And I think, I think the, having seen old boy and the handmaiden and maybe a couple other park chan wilkes movies before joint security area that one joint rocks. security era before, before seeing uh, uh sympathy for mr vengeance i think i was sort of like more just absorbing what was happening and sort of like the salaciousness of the plot and sort of the you know surprise and the then like the how he's leveraging style or how he's you know his uh, more direct i mean it's pretty hard to avoid any of the political undercurrents in this movie but like more how those those were being used or where they were being called up and where they were being retired all that kind of stuff was kind of going going right by me just drifting down the river in the in the in this rewatch that i performed today i think your point about uh it like leveraging park's style for like his, his pension for comedy and you mentioned the cruelty that this movie exhibits um is like it it makes all of those moments all of those things that i noticed the first time recognizing that like oh this is part of his style he's definitely like i'm g going down a tangent here but one of the things that people tend to talk about on either letterboxd or in actual critical reviews of this movie is that it doesn't have like sort of that park chan wook style as he started to develop after old boy where it gets a little bit more surreal at times where it is like a little crazier visually i think this movie does have that I think big it's time just, if that's you're looking, wild yeah I, mean, I, I i definitely see if you line this up against lady vengeance for example lady vengeance goes by like like a comic book by comparison it's just incredibly visually inventive this movie i think still has a lot of that it's still like very much present his style but my point there is that the style and how it combines comedy and timing and framing um, and the incredible cruelty that it actually shows you on screen, all of the really like gross shit that it actually shows you, bodies and Achilles tendons being severed and just gross, gross things. There are, really, there are like, some genuine moments in this movie that are shocking. They, like, they, make, uh, your, they make your skin crawl. I think yeah. probably the, the biggest one is like they actually show the, the body of the child being incinerated. Yeah. in an. It's just like the kind of thing where it's like, oh, I legitimately would not have thought that a movie would show something yeah. like that. You know, it got me thinking all sorts of things like did they research how skin looks as it bubbles in an incinerator? Like, do they? Did they do that? But it makes, I guess, all of this milieu we're talking about where he like combines this really grotesque, uh, it makes you feel like you're rubbernecking at times, but not like in a way that's going to get you to stop watching, I suppose. Like, I don't know. I think, actually think it's going to get you to walk away. Um, it makes the like incredibly, it's weird to call the plot satisfying, but it's like very much the plot turns and twists just hit in a way more like shamefully satisfying it's way like a switch that, like, watch right it's like a really good like detective story or something yeah you're you're occasionally like i was occasionally disgusted at myself for thinking like oh this is this is really landing for me the fact that the girl slipped and he can't hear her because he's deaf and she's crying out from across the river and the man across the river doesn't have like capabilities of speech either he can't alert anybody he's which then just dumbstruck yeah it turns out that like he did have awareness of what was happening yeah. clearly which is like another one of those perfect little like twist the knife yeah. moments it it just made me think like oh this is almost a shameful almost like uh like i don't know a devilish what's what's the term like when you know that you're not supposed to be it's indulgent i suppose like in ways because of the fact that he sort of set up a lot of this darkness against an incredible like sense of comedy and timing and framing uh, and staging and like all the things that have been funny in this movie up to this point like the other employee who shreds his stomach with an exacto knife in the middle of the street. Like that scene is not like it's gross, but it's not like horrifying until like he does the thing. Otherwise it's kind of 
kind of like oh i mean they set it up to be funny right like yeah, it, t- it like, takes him like f- two minutes to find his exactor knife exactly. because he took off he dramatically took off mm-hmm. the piece of clothing that he was holding it in and exactly all that they all just sort of stare at him while he's doing this <laughs> not thinking that he's like about to do something dramatic that they should maybe try to stop yeah there's there's so much that just because he sort of makes that space he sort of clears the room and says okay so both this comedy and this cruelty are going to exist we're just going to show like if we had just lent on one if it had been too comedic it would have felt out of place to have these incredibly like left field left turn plot moments and if he had gone too cruel it probably would have felt like an abuse it probably would have felt like punishment to watch this movie but i think it's because he creates this like fabric of actual moments that then like you are able to imbibe these really like shameful uh, i don't know just very stark striking plot devices um that propel it forward rather than make you feel like oh this terrible thing has happened and it's just a pile of terrible things like i think everybody can generally agree it's like a series of bad things happening again and again and again and just reciprocating uh vengeance and you know the the cycle of violence etc but the fact that it has like you know that once it gets to the other side of the fence once the volley reaches the other side there's something else like very engaging is going to happen either funny or uh you know or or very like human is going to happen that's going to make it like it's going to complicate the plot even further as it goes back to the other side as it goes like the ball is then back in uh you know dong jay's court or as it's back to Ryu. i don't know it's it's just it's very compelling and i don't know if i've seen a movie that's this compelling and like sometimes uh very very hard to watch at the same time like i've rewatched this movie didn't think i ever would and i would again i think i think i think i would see this movie a third time um cody did you have a similar experience as you were watching this yeah i would i think so i've relatively um i, I guess my mileage with mis- uh sympathy for mr vengeance and lady vengeance is um much more limited compared to like old boy which i'd seen that was and i guess that's sort of my inroad to uh, like I'll try to keep it to just Mr. Vengeance, but the Vengeance trilogy as a whole, um, like Old Boy, is one of those movie which, like, I don't know. Uh, I'll be fascinated to see how that plays in like subsequent years and and like generations of film folks. But like um, that Old Boy and the I guess the other uh, of those two movies as well, like uh, Pulp Fiction and other Quentin Tarantino movies, the sort of movies that are that you pick up and you learn there's like oh movies can be different <laughs> you know like they get like as far as like bucking certain trends or like movies don't always have to end happy um they like they can be very dark they can be um stories where you're not like spoon fed everything um that's something that really stood out to me with this rewatch is just recalling like oh yeah there are a lot of these details that you pick up very organically it's mostly just like two hours of great park chan wook composition and you're just you're picking things up in very like natural uh, ways and spaces um and it sort of empowers you as the viewer which is which is super cool um you know characters undergoing more of a descent instead of uh ending on an ascent or you know an upwards trajectory and so i don't know like that's uh, at least that was the case for me specifically with with old boy and i think as far as this trilogy goes um i don't know mi- uh, sympathy for mr vengeance it might uh, like rating these feels so weird like it might be at the bottom for me but like they're all great um old boy i think uh gets into the like the cosmic cruelty uh and like justice of vengeance in a way that like and it's been years since i last saw it but 
that that sort of shit really sticks with you. Lady Vengeance um, pairs uh, a particular emotional through line with uh, with its flavor of revenge that I that I really enjoyed. And I don't know, I, I was sort of uh, kind of like you, Jason. I was like, I don't know if I needed to revisit Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, but I'm really glad I did. Um, I still really quite like it. Um, that irony uh, and like that that humor that you you two are, are kind of getting at. I do enjoy that it's uh it, it's not like irony coming through in really like cutesy ways like or or like the, the way that the you know ironic moments and the humor like play together it's not like oh these two characters are incidentally written to be related in this one peculiar way uh those those moments are like they are ingrained and engineered from the the sort of systems that you were getting at harry like they come from somewhere and that makes it easier to like either laugh at them or be sort of uh, like satisfied in that ironic sense of like oh yeah of course oh, the the uh what am i trying to say the organ transplant you know a, a donor came through it's like what you you thought it wouldn't like i mean that works that that works sometimes uh it costs a lot of money but like did you really think like she wouldn't get uh, a donor to come through and then you just kind of sit with that for a little bit it's like oh you really think she wouldn't have uh terrorist friends um like you don't think being anti-capitalist is like a worthy cause that more than one person could be a part of and so of course there's a group of people that shows up at the end you really think there wouldn't so just like that i don't know those sort of meanderings really um played favorably for me but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I I last I guess Lady Vengeance and Sympathy for Mister Vengeance I first saw a couple of years ago because I saw they were leaving the Criterion Channel and that's what you did during quarantine. Just like, well, I've got I've got all, all my all my friends and my friends are my streaming services and it's just like, so what's what's next? What's what's leave? So yeah, um, yeah, they're all right here on my on my fingers. Um, shout out to SpongeBob SquarePants. But yeah, so that's so, exactly st- when I watched. Uh, sympathy for yeah. Mister Vengeance, and I think for the exact same reason. So I relate. <laughs> I sympathize. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I <laughs> you shrimpathize. So yeah, I mean, I guess Harry, as far as all that goes, um, like I don't know. Do do does any of that hit you like more intensely? You already kind of gave like what your th- thoughts were about it, especially like coming back to it. But I don't know what what hits you this time around. Yeah, I uh, I didn't really weirdly enough because I had already seen Old Boy. I guess I have since seen all of the Vengeance trilogy, um, though it's been a while now. But um, I didn't think about this movie as part of the Vengeance trilogy before, and I I think thinking through it in that context makes a lot of sense and is really interesting. Um, I liked what you said about the cosmic nature of Old Boy's sort of Vengeance narrative. Um, I see some of that here. There's some of that connective tissue here, just in the sense that, like, the thing about this movie that strikes me, and I I alluded to it a little bit in my initial thoughts, um, is this prevailing overarching sense of fatalism almost where like this almost strikes me as like a deal with the devil movie like you could almost see like instead of um the organ donors you could see the main character Ryu like making a literal deal with the devil because that's how this plays out right is this idea that like oh we know that these characters are damned by almost supernatural forces that are so much greater than them to end up where they end up we know that they're going to be corrupted we know that they're going to turn into the titular Mr. Vengeance Um, we know that that like there is no way out and that they have no options. It's just that the difference is that here the the devil is the director, like literally, right? The devil is like the camera work or like the world that these people have found themselves in from the very beginning. And it's kind of hard to describe exactly how the movie creates that atmosphere, but it is largely through directing and cinematography. I think there's like an incredible coldness to this movie. There is 
exactly one non-diegetic song if i remember and it's just like a cacophony of horns and like jazz like raging everything else is like mostly this movie is silent in terms of music there is no soundtrack whatsoever um or there is uh diegetic music or more often even um radio broadcasting right but and there's this they do these very slow um soft fade to blacks quite a few times that's sort of like what i would describe as the characteristic cut in this movie um we often see characters at great distances we see those park chan wook shots that are so inventive and all of it sort of has the effect of situating us in this world that feels larger than these characters it feels like um again i keep going back to this but it feels like forces are are um, weighing down, bearing down on them, right? And like, then you you can really clearly connect that as the movie does to the socioeconomic systems that these people are a part of, right? Like, the inciting incident in this movie is very Breaking Bad. There's this idea that like he needs, um, it's like uh, 10 million won uh, for an organ transplant for his sister. He has no way of getting that money because he gave that money away because the idea that like, because again, they're poor and they don't have the resources to get the organ through any other means. He he had to go to this really shady organ donor who ended up just ripping him off. Um, so once like we enter this, this sort of hell world um, there, there is this sort of snowball effect that um, becomes sympathetic because it feels like there is no alternative. It feels like there's no better way out. And you get to this place where like even the vengeance itself feels a little bit sympathetic because um, it is like this, this way for people who have so clearly failed to regain some sense of agency right like i really love for instance the instruments of vengeance in this movie the fact that like ryu uses his bat which at first is an instrument of um grief and processing he goes to the batting cage to like deal with the fact that he's failing his sister then it becomes an instrument for revenge um similarly uh um uh, Song Kang Ho's character, Park Dong Jin, um, started as an electrician. That was a part of himself that he took a lot of pride in. Eventually, like, his electricity becomes his torture instrument, right? So, like, clearly, like, these people are transformed into the ugliest possible manifestations of themselves. You could even argue, sort of indirectly, Beidana, she was, like, the only member, quote-unquote, of her anarchist society because it seems like her other members are more interested in, like, uh, just murder or being terrorists. She describes them as terrorists, right? Um, so she was sort of, like, their... Uh, uniting factor, and then in the final sort of literal twist of the knife at the end of the movie, they have become sort of black-pilled even more so, and they're just murderers now, and they just kill this guy because they killed her. Um, so there, there is this sense in which, like, like the, the downfall is precipitous, and it is completely unavoidable, um, and there is something really fascinating about this particular style of sort of, like, like downward fatalism that in South Korean cinema, it reminded me a lot. And I know you haven't seen this either of you, so I'll be, but um, of Lee Chang Dong's peppermint candy, which kind of takes a similar tack in that it's about the downfall of a person, but this person in that movie, that life actually plays out backwards. So we see him at his worst and then we see the fall in reverse. And in the process, it's sort of like, it does a really good job of like cataloging the nature of his fall along with the progress or lack of progress in South Korea as a nation and, and sort of like lays the responsibility for that at the feet of the, um, 
culture that is per- pervasive within South Korea. And like, I think that kind of fall really reminded me of this, right? It's like, oh, like the reason why these characters end up in the worst possible place is because the system leaves them no choice, right? Like they are going to end up there because there is no alternative. There's no way for them to make that money. There's no way for them to want anything else by the end except murder in their hearts, right? Like there's this very great point where like um, Song Kang Ko could just let uh, the kid go, Ryu, and he even says like, I know you're a good guy. There's like, there's no real reason for me to do this, but I have to, because like, that's just who I am now. This is what I was made into, you know? I love like two distinct things that I want to bring up out of that specifically about Dong Jin and uh, I think more more saliently right now. Um, I love that you brought up the like directorial influence, the sort of cinematographic, like the presence of it's not so basic to say it, but I hope we can dig something out of it. The presence of the like the world as shown and the people as shown and framed in this movie. I mean, I'm thinking straight movie brain on this one, but the more like the, in on rewatch, I think it's when the style could start to click with me uh, rather than just like be be there. It could like start to mean something a little bit more. Um, so I'm glad I got to give it a second look. Uh, like the fact that you excuse me bring up the fact that like these characters are united by like failure they're like leveled by a, a, a common affliction basically the socioeconomic systems that go above them not every, I, I reject the idea that like everybody's a good person and nobody's truly bad here because like i don't know but that's just a moral choice i think it is more interesting to point out or at least that i noticed this time that the mechanics of the movie are where like a lot of that sympathy is, is drawn directly from like these characters don't interact so often. And, you know, they are tied by the same things by like a dead daughter by, uh, you know, not having enough money for a thing by X, Y, Z. But, um, like, because we don't get these characters near each other very often because they don't share the same spaces, at least till the end. And at the same time, the mechanics of the movie bear the weight of that, Hugely, I think like you brought up the really like stark camera work. Um, there's the first time that it caught my eye was uh, I believe it's when Ryu is coming home near one of the like intro shots of the movie and it sort of tracks him uh, up a hill sort of thing. And then as he's headed up the background of the hill behind some cars and trees, the camera doesn't follow him up. It just follows back down the path he just led. So we're just staring at a wall as the camera just scrapes down by. I thought that's interesting. We're sort of following a descent as he's going up. What does that mean? I'll make a note for that later. But then later on, more and more shit starts to happen like that, where just visually it communicates this idea that these characters are united by something, by, you know, by by a quest for vengeance, by a grief of a lost one, whatever. There's that scene. Um, I'm forgetting exactly what the context of it is, but it is while Dong Jin is on the phone uh, with his private investigator and um, after uh, uh, Young Mi is talking to Ryu about um, what he's going to do when he finds the uh, when he finds the organ donor people who stole his kidney and all that uh and she asks ryu in like it's separate scenes but aligned very closely to each other she asks ryu what are you going to do when you find them of course he can't respond respond audibly so it cuts to dong jin and he says kill them like he's ordering oh, what the, a the, scene the guy like and, the mirror it, it's it's beautiful like one yeah the character those two characters young me and ryu talk through a mirror which is a whole other thing uh mostly talk through a mirror because of uh korean sign language but um that shot in particular made me think like, holy damn, that's, that's pretty good. Like not unexpected, not the most surprising thing, but then the next shot, I think the next cut, because Song Kang Ho, Dong Jin puts down his phone and he's in his daughter's like 
air balloon bed thing with a bunch of ball pits and he tosses a ball into it. It can't go more, much further like a foot in front of him. And the next immediately cuts to Ryu at the batting cage and he's knocking a ball out of the park. And it's like, shit, man, you like you are like uniting not on necessarily like feelings for each other or like recognizing the presence of an emotion in another person and feeling for that, not necessarily feeling that, but feeling for that. It's like there's this like vibrational resonance between all of these scenes, tying them together and tying these characters together necessarily, tying these spaces and people together that just fucking hits so hard once you right. notice it. It clicks and it's like the one one activates the other literally from scene to scene like the way that this scene starts is the same way that the last one ended except in a completely different context with a completely different person there's no like intent necessarily there's no like shared feeling there necessarily it is like grief maybe at the broadest just of reverberance and they feed into each other and they like sort because of, of one what we're watching right because exactly. of the camera exactly like because, we, because we are aware of both of them happening and that's where the audience is brought in and that's where like people like me get to say cool that's more than just a neat little like slant match cut that is like powerfully narratively resonant in the movie on like again less of an emotional and more like a, a physically vibration excuse me a vibrational level that like the yeah. kineticism of scene to scene there actually meant something to the narrative and it was it's just absolutely not that's why i like reject the idea that this is one of his not as stylized movies or whatever it, that it's more straight as it's as a noir as a thriller it's not necessarily. I think it's just if you're looking at the right places at the right times. So was that I, Cody? I wanted to get your take on that particularly because I know that you keep an eye out for like interesting camera work and you're a sets guy and stuff. Do you did you like pick up on any of that? Did that ring through this time? Yeah, no, totally. And I, I guess I'll just say like, hey, are, I mean, are, are people on Twitter saying that this isn't like a beautifully com well, composed film? I'm, I might or, be or are we just making up to make, my, to make yeah. myself sound smarter. I might be making it up, but no, I mean, like some common threads in people who like positively mm -hmm. review the movie say that it's like it's not as like stylish. It's not as ideally stylistic as Park's other movies like old boy or even decision to leave has some really strange visually stuff going on. And this one's a little bit more tame and reeled mm -hmm. in not as a negative. It's just like, even when I read that, I'm like, I don't think so. I think it's like, it's yeah. trickery. It's less like CGI maybe, but it's definitely still as like, as, as, as kinetic, I suppose. Yeah. Ooh, I love that word. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely, I grappled with, um, positively uh, a lot of what you two are, are um, articulating super well. The one thing that I found myself gravitating toward a lot, and I think this works well as like a, a complementary, um, like spin off of this, just or running parallel, however you want to visualize it, but just the fact that this is, you know, it's, it's a beautiful ass Park Chan Wook movie. Um, we're, we're going to keep saying it. It looks awesome. Uh, it is, it's weirdly plot heavy, this movie, um, especially for in like the early goings. Uh, and the fact that it is, uh, again, a, a lot that you need to sort of be like looking for and watching for and listening for, pick those things up organically. There's a lot of this movie. It, it was just me like looking for, for quotes and just, you know, bullshit to say at the start and the end of the episode. It's just like there are long stretches where there's like nobody talking. Um, and it got me thinking about the as well as kind of what you two are talking about the the ways in which we're shown things also just like what we are being told for like the two hours where we're we're stationed with this particular story or the these interwoven stories rather it's like what is what is he choosing to tell us why does why are we spending 
a minute or two uh, getting into the story about this guy with two heads where like he shot one of the heads and like the scene caps off with just like, well, which head did he shoot? And they both like are left puzzled. And then just like the scene cuts and it's like, I don't like weird imagery, um, potential foreshadowing of just like, I don't the need to ask questions and think about how do we get from point A to point B. So there's like a little bit of that. There's a, um, I asked myself a similar question with the, um, when, uh, the, the ex boss, or I, I could be more, uh, as Park Dong, Dong Jin is, uh, tied with a bag over his head to that post that we just cut very briefly to a bug zapper. And it's like, I don't, it communicates something like very strong, but it's like, how does that play into this story? What do, I mean, even the guy who carves himself up poorly with that knife, just like, what is, what is the purpose of spending like five minutes with this guy? And like in a vacuum, it, I mean, and I think in a, in a vacuum, none of those scenes are like, you know, they have the thesis for this whole movie ingrained within any of those, but I do think they build up uh, as well as with, uh, again, like the way that the, the, scenes are composed especially in the last stretch of the of the film um it, it, they sort of indirectly inform uh I, I, the world that we're in they they indirectly inform uh or begin to reveal like what's what can be unearthed in you know within these characters or any of us if we're if everything is stripped away or if if you look at it you know through this you know, through the certain lens or in the at the certain angle um like we any of any of us watching like we all have the capacity to um i don't like be viewed in this way and see the world in the same way that these that these characters are and i feel like all of that uh it teases us up for again like a like a final 45 minute stretch where it's like this is the world we're in with everything stripped away you know these these two men that we're left with all they have is their obsession and just like what's what's gonna happen like we have we have we have all the we have all the the clues mr police what will like what's gonna (laughs) what are how are how will these pieces come together and that's I don't know. That's uh, you could use that framing for pretty much any other movie, I guess, as well. But in this one in particular, it's I, I the empowerment, uh, the empowerment, the empowering of the audience to like use uh, use these tools and see the movie in this particular way. It, uh, I guess I am just getting back to the evergreen thing of just like the movie is training us to watch the movie in this particular way. But I, I really I, love how that came through. I, I, I mean, I, I that was literally going to be my first like, thing that I was going to say. Like the first two acts being. I'd like to think of them as world building now, as we're talking about, like it's very plot heavy, but honestly it's all kind of setting up for the stakes of the third act and like what it's really mm-hmm. meaning that this is happening. Right. I well, and, and I really reject the idea that it's just this sort of like juvenile hitting you over and over again. I would argue that each one of the hits, no matter how sort of abstract and especially uh, maybe especially when they're abstract, excuse me, um, are really important to selling that sort of particular training. Um, this movie wants to get us to the place where we understand how these characters feel. We understand the psychic toll that these the scarring is taking on them this like bludgeoning i think the first time i said it about this movie i said that like it starts out like the um the hits keep coming so fast and so hard and so ironic that they start to feel like they have like a rhythm to them where like you can see the machinations turning in these people's heads slowly like coming to these irrational but honestly sympathetic conclusions that like oh i get it the world is out to get me like, this is not just, like, random happenstance. There's, like, an evil god who has sort of, like, got me dancing on strings, right? Like, oh, yeah, of course the donor came through as soon as I gave all my money away, right? Like, uh, of course that happened because, like, this is my fate. And so I'm going to be this person. 
like you can honestly you can see them arrive at by the end of this at like this place where like oh i get it i'm becoming the person i was always meant to be or like the only person i ever really could have been because of the way the world is and like i think it's really important to show the world that way um one semi-problematic thing unfortunately um but like disability is a huge part of that right it's a huge recurring motif like we repeatedly see these characters interacting with um physically and mentally disabled people um that's supposed to be sort of like in my mind at least it's it's like um it, that's a byproduct of this sort of society, right? It's it's a metaphor for the scarring, the damage that has taken place to these people, to their bodies, to their minds, to their um, souls, right? Like we see the um, we see the grueling work of factory, like the grueling factory work for like way longer than we would have any real reason to um, early on in this. Um, the, he plays with who is deaf according to the camera and who is not. Often, I think it's really interesting that uh, we hear everything in a lot of Ryu scenes until Ryu is looking at other characters like his sister, and then it's as if they're deaf, right? So it's sort of like, when does Ryu feel his disability? When does he feel like he does not have the option to reach out? Um, and it's when he's trying to communicate with other people, when he's trying to build connections, um, when he's trying to explain himself or justify himself. Um, I think that that's really important. And I like I ultimately I think that like it's it's all toward this point of sort of like I think I agree with what you had said, Jason, about like, no, it's not necessarily that nobody in this movie was bad at the start of the movie because we can equivocate about that. But the point is that we're supposed to be sympathetic of how these people arrived at each of their locations. Like even uh, Song Kang Ho at the beginning of the movie, who is this sort of like like extremely like detached industrialist. Like I think the movie is sort of about not justifying, but explaining how he came to be as callous as he yeah. was at the yeah. beginning, right? That he can just watch a former employee kill himself in front of him. And he can then go back and find that that employee has also killed his family. Uh, and he tries to save the kid, right? And then he fails to save the kid right at the end. We get that last twist of the knife where, He's called and he says, yeah, that kid that you brought in that uh, his dad poisoned, he didn't make it. And he just says, yeah, you got the wrong number. Just like a total final abdication of responsibility, right? He's finally completed that descent. Um, like you pointed out, Jason, I love that um, there are two autopsies in this movie, right? Uh, and in the first one, uh, Hong Sang-ko's character is horrified by it and he, he nearly pukes. Uh, and then the second time he watches the autopsy, he yawns right? Like he's completely over it. And so like, I think that that that's sort of like in a nutshell, what we're getting at is that like, Hey, like all of these horrifying things that we're seeing happen on this screen that we have this sort of like bird's eye view toward, like they are having a real effect on these characters, on the way they perceive reality, on what they believe their options are. And the, the more that these things happen to somebody, the more sort of twisted that they're going to become. And I think that like the, the sympathy in this movie lies in getting you to understand how those characters got to that place and how from their point of view, maybe, or from the world's point of view writ large as the camera shows, they didn't have any other choice. Mm -hmm. Or if they had any other choice, um, it was only in the sort of ironic path not taken sense. Yeah, I think I think Dong Jin is an interesting place. Uh, Song Kang Ho's character is an interesting place to focus on that because Ryu's story is told, sort of told throughout, and then in the latter half, in the last act, it kind of becomes Dong Jin's story. Of I, I, I like where we landed as far as like how it brings the audience in on these characters. Um, 
Dong Jin is not introduced as like, you know, he gets the whole frame to himself for you to recognize his face and know who he is and what his standing is at the company or whatever. I forget if he's even, there's that opening scene you're talking about where we see way more of like the metal slag casting uh, than we probably should. Or he's a hundred percent not in that scene. He doesn't right. work okay. at the factory. Right? I just, he like th- owns three, the building. Exactly. I saw the three administrators passing through. And then later I was like, was he among them? You know, they don't really show their faces. So the first time we see the character is in the back of a car, um, before the uh, crash into the former employee who ends up carving himself up with an exacto. Um, that is like our introductory scene to him. He's wearing sunglasses. You don't really like get the impression. I remember that, uh, you know, that he was in this movie when I saw his face. I didn't remember that he was like the actor from this, from this part. It's so fun. It's like it at is, 26 minutes and then all of a sudden fucking Song Kang Ho is in this movie. Up. And it's like, oh, like one of the greatest living actors is just in this movie all of it's a sudden. Beautiful. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Uh, but even for people who aren't as, you know, on the level as we are about South Korean st- movie stars, um, like it is just a very like natural way to make make it feel like he's growing to be part of the plot like he's easily painted i think upon first uh or maybe you know plot synopsis read um as like the madman is the guy who's like loses himself in his grief that he becomes like completely lost to the grief of losing his child and he just sort of is unstoppable from there but it's like those moments of his uh like the autopsies He's like, they always give us these sort of mirror segments of things happening. Uh, you know, he's undergoing these terrible cruelties with, um, uh, young me, the, the girlfriend who belongs to the, you know, leftist left wing, uh, t- terrorist group. Um, he cruelly tortures and murders her by electrocution. And then later, once he's got Ryu, uh, sort of knocked out in, 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 on, in that flat, uh, he starts like just weeping. Like he, he can't bring himself to kill him there because he wants to enact further cruelty, obviously. But in that moment, like he has, it struck me that like he has several points to this movie. He has like this sympathy for the version of himself that he's lost. He, like it, goes to great lengths to show you like the dip to paint the distance between the person he was before any of these things happened and the person he's becoming, because it's not like uh, a regret per se. It's not like you see that he doesn't want to be doing these things. He absolutely wants to be doing these things, right. he, but he, but it's just that he recognizes what's driving. Yeah. Him. There's well, a recognition and, and like, of like how that grief has changed him, you know? Right. And even like the movie goes to great pains to show you that he knows the full story, right? Like he's watched, he's watching the movie with us basically, right? Like he literally like through the paper thin walls of Ryu's apartment, here's the radio that tells him the story of Ryu where it's like, Oh, like he knows that Ryu had a, like a sick sister that was dying. He he knows that they didn't mean to kill his daughter. He knows all of this. It's like he sees the cycle playing out. He but, even sees the Polaroids of them having fun with his right. daughter and then still reviews. It doesn't matter, right? Because like he's he's here now. He's there now. And it's it's sort of like you understand the culmination of all of this psychic damage that's been inflicted on these characters. It's that they're not even lashing out at each other. They just have lost the ability to empathize with each other and they need something to lash out at. And so it's like, it's like, he's not even just killing Ryu. He's killing everything. He's killing himself. He's killing the situation. He's killing his failure. Right. But like the only way, the only language he has to communicate that through is hurting people is hurting somebody else. Right. It's sort of like vengeance is like, it is the ultimate manifestation of like uh, a failure in the sense that it's like you end up perpetuating thing because you don't have anything else to do. You've lost every other part of yourself. There is that, like the distance there between those two versions of that character to me again echoes the like the distance between or the difference in distance in this movie and i'm gonna probably get a little bit too abstract for it to be a real talking point so i apologize but 
uh, between like the intent of a thing and the actuality of the thing. Like the first time that that dichotomy was painted to me was the four guys in the apartment next door jacking off to listening to like what they think presumably is a woman in orgasmic pleasure. It's actually Ryu's daughter, excuse me, uh, sister dying of, of cancer or whatever she has. Um, and she's just writhing in pain on the ground. Fun movie. It, Fun movie. It, oh my God. It's, it's so, it's so fucking much. Um, there's like, you know, they, they, the, all these characters had sympathetic intentions and didn't realize what was happening or, you know, there's a mistake, there's an accident or whatever. Um, and like the plot rests on those things. Uh, there's not like intention to it until an action has been performed until something actually becomes material to the person. Uh, you know, it's not like you offended me and now you're, you're dying. Like, you know, it's only after the fallout of, um, you know, Ryu losing his kidney to, uh, to the organ donors is only after that becomes like material only after the, the girl dies only after you, you son, I forget her name. Uh, only after Sun Kang Ho's daughter dies, does he like want vengeance for that? Because then it had a cost that it had a true real cost. Like his, his sister died and his, and, and the girl died and he wants vengeance for it. He didn't want vengeance right after he realized they had like left him naked and taken his kidney. It was only after that thing. So it's like, the intention of a thing and the actual active in uh, like impact that it has. There's a great distance between those things in this movie where I think in another movie or with another style or with another like writing team, I think it would have been more like Ryu had his kidney stolen. So he decides my next move is to get my, like, you know, get my money back from them. But it's not really that because like, he doesn't have cruel intentions. He's not a bad person. He doesn't have like, he doesn't want, he doesn't understand that, uh, or rather it's not like what he wants isn't to go get money back. It's to save his sister and like going to get money back wouldn't, wouldn't get him much closer. I don't know. It's uh, it's, it's like the, just this really sophisticated, smarter way. I think of telling what ultimately does boil down to like a cycle of violence, uh, story in the broadest sense, just like packing that with a lot of very smartly written scenes and like very interestingly, uh, uh, like knotted storylines, um, again, through the visuals, through the, through the performances, just like it kind of sings at every level. I, I know it's not like everybody's top Park Chan Wook. It's up there for me, honestly, every time I watch it, it gets a little better. I mean, the problem is that he made a lot of really good movies. <laughs> it's like, I like that this is, movie yeah. a lot, but also like Joint Security Area and The Handmaiden and Decision of his own success. And, yeah. yeah, Old Boy. Like, there's a lot of really good fucking movies in there. Um, yeah, I, I really like what you said about um, intent and effect. And also, I think it's really important that like none of these characters ever at any point have a... Um, a goal that's not relatable, right? I think you're right. Like, I think that, like, if this was a movie that was just sort of like, oh, I'm immediately going to go get my money back from those people uh, because I, like, I have this bloodlust for vengeance. I don't think that, like, ironically, none of the characters in this movie have a bloodlust for vengeance, right? Like, they only resort to it when they've run out of any other options through which to cling to any sort of sense of agency or forward momentum, right? Like, like, they only really choose vengeance when they have literally nothing left to live for, right? It's like, first, uh, Ryu wants to save his sister. When his sister dies, he wants to get um, uh, the the girl whose name is Yusun, um home, yeah, I looked it up just now, um, home safe. Um, when he fails at all of that, that's when he resorts to, to violence and to vengeance, right? And it's 
it's just sort of like all of these sort of circumstances and these twists and turns that walk you down this evil path until we end up at the final decision where it's like finally um, Song Kang Ho's character, Park Dong Jin, like he knows all the information. He has this opportunity to return to some version of himself. He can let Ryu go. And by that point, we understand why he does it. Right. Like we know exactly why he chooses to enact vengeance. And it's because that's all he has left. That's all he has left to be a person. There is no alternative. There's no walking back. He understands the way the world works now. Right. That's where he's arrived. He has transformed into this character that can only do this thing. And we understand it. Right. And that's sort of the instructive horror of this movie. And I think that's a big part of where it's sort of like. Uh, metaphorical or dare I say allegorical point comes from is this idea that like hey like these systems the way that we're like forced to value each other and use each other and blame each other for the twists and turns and cruel ironies of life they are turning us into people who are designed for one thing right capitalism is making us into vengeful killers because we need some way to like reenact our own agency to reclaim it and the only way we can do that is through and against each other right like this is this the problem right is that like there is no there's no winning here there is no version where Baydana's anarchists get to actually become anarchists building a better world there is only the version where they get to preserve some sense of who they are by killing um Park Dong Jin at the end. And it's sort of like that's the that's the brutality behind it all is that like this this world does this to us and then we do it to each other because the world taught it to do it to each do it to each other. Yeah. It's if I can transition to junk drawer thoughts, that there's like a tiny little rice grain of an idea that I want to get out there. Uh, is everybody ready for that? For I'm ready. L junk drawer. Okay, I'll play the sound effect. It's the junk drawer where we pull out little thoughts that didn't fit with the rest of the episode, but um, it is very relevant to what Harry was just saying because it's the way that those characters, like, again, one of the, like, we have ideas about the movie and then I try to map them to what I'm seeing in the movie. I think one of the ways that it does that, that it, like, exemplifies those systems that are, like, distancing ourselves from from each other and from, and, like, giving us one way to relate um, and, like, no real way to communicate from from ourselves, our relationship to ourselves, like, the way that um, Dong Jin has, like, he, he has shown at both ends of a spectrum, the like, you know, passive and the very actively vengeant, revengeful, vengeant, um, is through like these obfuscations of communication. They appear a lot in Park Chan Wook's films. Specifically, I'm thinking of in Decision to Leave most recently. Um, but like it's telling that during some of their most important conversations between Young Mi and Ryu, uh, of course, she's using uh, sign language to communicate with him and and he's reading lips, but they're ca- talking like they're looking the same direction and looking at a mirror. They're looking at each other in a mirror, which I have no idea what that is like in sign language or in trying to read lips, but it's just a fascinating little like uh, abstraction of communication between those two. Even like a little tiny scene that like Cody brought up earlier where um, Dong Jin is tied up to a lamppost in the middle of nowhere and the uh, moths are being killed above his head and there's a dog barking at him. He is trying to like say, help me, somebody help me. But one, his face is covered. So like no- nobody can read intent or emotion in that. And two, it's a dog. It's not understanding. All it understands is like this thing's making noise. I want it to stop or I want it to kill it. Just these little moments of how the character's like don't really communicate with each other or have a hard time communicating with each other through actual like means of communication um, is I think very like it's singing with that broader idea we're coming up of how people are separated and given very limited means of truly like 
relating and sympathizing to one another. Um, I think it's just those little mealy moments that that again just add a lot of, a lot of color and flavor to uh to the movie's like arching narrative to me yeah there's like a great almost religious motif in this movie where uh you could make the argument nobody deserves what happens to them in this movie with maybe the exception of the organ donors though they actually kind of like try to make her relative are like a tiny bit sympathetic too in the sense that she might be herself a victim right she's addicted to painkillers or heroin or whatever that is and like that's clearly driving the behavior of, of she and her sons um but everybody in this movie believes they deserve what happened to them right like uh like including even uh ryu's sister but but it's like very much ryu ryu at multiple points says like it's my fault my sister's dead it's my fault that your daughter is dead like i did this um park dong jin like believes that he deserves what's happening to him because he failed his daughter right there's that harrowing scene where he receives a vision of her and she asks him why he didn't give her swimming lessons so like there is this sense that like i think that that's such a really interesting motif to throw into this engine in this mechanism is that oh like the hatred of each other that we see perpetuate in this movie that we see grow is also a hatred of self and like there is actually no no way to have one without the other i think that like again this sort of like this is a movie about how empathy breaks down right and about how like community breaks down how sort of our connections to each other break down and i think that's a really important facet of it is this idea that like oh it's because like you think you're you're evil and like you start to operate under those assumptions where you think you're broken or you think you're corrupt because otherwise why would these things be happening to you why would you be doing these things um and you think maybe like like i would argue um ultimately park dong jin arrives you just arrive at the like sort of like nihilistic notion that the world itself is evil or that there is no such thing as sort of like justice or empathy or anything and therefore like we are all just killers and that's what this the point is um so i think that like that's a really important like way into understanding the themes of this movie and it obviously has like huge implications for like humans under capitalism as allegory is this sort of idea that like hey you're gonna blame yourself for a lot of things and it's gonna make you hurt and hate yourself in some ways that are maybe not necessary. So I, I think that there's something to that as well. Um, I guess my last spare thought is I love the, like it, it's such a, um, I don't want to call it a crutch cause it's not that pejorative, but like just like crime movies where people aren't very good at doing crimes um, in the like Coen brothers sense. It's always so funny. That's such a big part of the humor here is that like Ryu is just so bad at being a kidnapper. Right. And like so much of this is just like, um, like bumbling, silliness uh and i think that like that's that's really an important part of this movie too is understanding like how human these people feel um i really like that especially like in contrast to the unbelievably inhuman things that happen to them and that they eventually do they are at all times like such people they feel like to me at least they're just normal men just innocent men uh yeah the world is evil but the one, uh, I guess, dangling thread I have from this movie is perhaps quietly the most optimistic shot uh, slash moment of the And it's it goes back to the organ traffickers when he uh, one of the sons walks out of whatever was like the ice cream. Pl- He's got a box full of ice and he gets a cake, drops the cake because he doesn't need the cake. He just wants the, the cooler with all the ice in it. And the cake lands upright. 
Uh, and when it happened, I was like, hey, Academy <laughs> Award for that good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something good happened. Um, that was that was nice. I have nothing else to say other than the the cake. Yeah, honestly, cake should have gotten nommed uh, for something for everything. But is, um, I, I, I love that as like the reward moment for the audience is that the cake doesn't splatter all over the streets of Seoul or wherever they are. Hey, uh, here's a uh, a question, a nice transition for you. Did Ryu eat the organs of those uh, organ donors? Did he take and eat their kidneys? He does have blood all over his face in that one He's chewing in scene one scene, afterwards. and then later on we learn that uh, the organ donors had their kidneys taken out. Right. And they, he, oh, you boy. see the Baskin-Robbins icebox in his apartment next to a bloody mm-hmm. knife and a cutting board. Uh, I think Ryu ate those people's kidneys. If he uh, he eats them, he gains their like their knowledge and their physical <laughs> capabilities. So I hope he did. Sure, it seems like it'd be a, a win win situation for him. It's he sort can... of a Magua situation where if he eats the heart of his enemy, he will gain all of their <laughs> power. Uh, well, I want to gain all of your power, guys. Uh, your thought um, power uh, in picking a GIF for uh, the next uh, tweet that we put out about an episode, this one. Um, Yes, that's right. It's good grief. Give me a GIF. Uh, It's where we want to find out what episode, uh, what GIF will go out with this episode, what this episode deserves in terms of a GIF pulled from the movie. So uh, Cody, I know you're pretty good at pulling timestamps. I watched this movie on Mubi and they don't work backwards with timestamps like HBO Max does. So do you have any uh, specific timestamps you're thinking of, of shots for the gift for this movie? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where did I watch it this time? It was on, it was not because it left. Oh God, where? Oh, I watched it on Metrograph. God, it's it's on a buttload of places right now. Um, I think it, t- Letterboxd, I don't think has been updated. I think it did leave Criterion at the end of June. Um, but yeah, movie Canopy. Ironically, it's on, yeah. I, I, yeah, uh, it's on Tubi. It is on Metrograph. Kino now has it. So it's in um, a bunch of places. Uh, so I, Metrograph has it counting, you know, the regular, regular way. Uh, 31, 32, thereabouts. Uh, Ryu running around the apartment trying to get the the pole Polaroid of uh, Yu Sun um, to send over as you know during their whole kidnapping scheme. Uh, I liked the the movement of him in that space. That was that was really great. Um, my the other let's see the other big one. Uh, one hour forty three minutes ten seconds. There we go. Uh, Song Kang Ho's character uh, Park Dong Jin dropping the cigarette in the water, and we're under the water, and the cigarette just floats across the frame. Really, really sexy shot. I have one final request for what not to make the gif i'm gonna tread into this territory my request is to not use the moment at 9 45 it's already been talked about do not use the jerk off train as our gif for the episode do not make that our gif that is my Listen. if i'm allowed a third request without you were a co-host down hopefully that can be reallocated elsewhere that is my third submission for consideration jason um Okay, so if we don't go, if 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 the jerk off train is not allowed, then we are necessarily putting the piss and blood stream uh, passing into the food after um, Young Me is tortured. We're putting that back into contention. This is a I'll choice you allow it. Okay, I'll allow it. I just i I do not think this jerk off <laughs> train needs to leave the station. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, Harry, please don't say the jerk off train. <laughs> Ironically, those weren't even the two gross out ones I was going to pick. I was going <laughs> to pick the moment when the uh, in, after the employee cuts himself with the exacto knife, and you see his wounds fly open because that's maybe like one of the most gut turning uh, 
moments of, of self-injury I've ever seen in a movie. Ooh, did that make me feel gross? Um, and then maybe uh, the uh, the little girl's bird body burning in the uh, crematorium. That would be another good gross one. I thought you were going to say the Achilles, and I was going to say, like, we want oh, people Jesus. to actually, like, check out our tweets, right? Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. It's such a, it's such a long shot. Although oh there God. is a really good shot legitimately when he's dragging Ryu across the river after he cuts his, and, like, the, there's just so much blood. It's like the whole river is filled up with blood. That would be a good one. Um, I did take timestamps for once, Jason, um, so you're welcome. My first one is around 26 when we were first introduced to Sung Kang Ko's character. Um, there's an upside-down shot of him and his family because they're looking at the employee who's under their car. It's really funny. He's just sort of, like, quizzically looking at them. Um, let's see. Uh, then um, around 73 minutes, there's a great shot, um, which I think, like... I really wonder if Bong Joon-ho stole this shit because it's Sung Kang-ho and he is in Ryu's old apartment and he has a Polaroid and he lifts up a Polaroid and then he like um, sees the wallpaper matches and then he puts it down and looks at the empty wallpaper and then it cuts to his face and it's literally the last shot from Memories of Murder where he's just sort of like making his like Sung Kang-ho face and he's like dead center in frame. Um, so that would be a really good shot. And then um, I think last at about 111 minutes right near the end um after song sang or song sang so that is a director that's not the same guy uh after song kang um ko cuts reuse achilles tendons um he's just like in the water with him and getting sprayed with water and blood and looking really upset over what he just did and it's a scene that goes on for like a long time and it's very uncomfortable to watch um so those would be good ones i think what about I, you, Jason? What do you got? Oh, thank you uh, for opening the door to me as well. Um, I didn't take the timestamp of it, but when uh, Ryu is playing around with Yusun um, and she's uh, like watching cartoons and shit, and then she just like props up on his knee and he's laying oh, yeah, down. Like, and, the cutest and, part of the movie right before one of the worst right things the in the movie happens. Yeah. Of, <laughs> right, right before he discovers his sister. Um, that is like, there, there are a couple of good seconds in there that could be like, I think nicely looped. It's a misleadingly positive little cute note, but it's just like, again, one of those like, this is one of those moments that reminds you, oh, it's not, there's no cruelty here. Like it is all, there's, there's a certain amount of farce almost to the actual endeavor. Uh, I loved that moment and I uh, loved how it looked until of course you realize what's happening. Um, there's also a shot uh, near the beginning where uh, Ryu is sitting in the factory at closing time and he just sort of like really bedraggled, sits down and the hose just swinging in the background. The hose that he was just using to clean one of the like uh, bins that he's been working in. Um, there's the <laughs> shot. It's it's a very classically Park uh, Chan-wook shot of um, his boss reaching out for a handshake to like confirm that he's been fired and the cuckoo clock goes off and we see the cuckoo clock in foreground and just them like sort of like numbly sitting there with the guy pointing his hand out for a handshake uh and the cuckoo clock is just standing there like it's mocking so them fucking both. park chan wook like it's jesus so christ it, yeah very much uh and then the last one that i was thinking about i don't know if it uh, makes a whole lot of sense for this but um walking up the stairs at the uh whatever the organ donors are yeah um, that was actually of. the first one i wrote down it's around fifteen thirty. it Thank that you. is a really because they're all in silhouette right and there's yes. just that one it's like beautiful. straight yeah there are a couple of them and it's like one of the few times that people are going up uh, you know like symbolically I guess, and it's to like a pretty terrible thing that's about to happen. Uh, again, a movie, not a movie to make you feel good, uh, but a movie that is good. 
Um, the the frustrating thing about those shots, I love those. They cut off just before the last person leaves the frame. So it's like, fuck, you could have just let us loot this. That's that's why Park Chan Wook. Um, the director's cut was just like, he's like, hey, the boys ain't getting this one. <laughs> not this Jump guy. off a few frames here. That's not <laughs> no sympathy sounds, but... from this, Mr. Vengeance. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sympathy, please. Sympathy. Uh, thank you both for your gift recommendations. We have one actual final segment. Harry always helps uh, ring it in. So let's get to it. Thank you, Jason. I just did a weird, wild thing with my microphone. It is mm. the segment we like to call <gasps> Cody's Noties. Wow. Thank you so much, gentlemen. I, I found myself drowning in that introduction. Uh, what uh, what I'm going to do is uh, <laughs> we're going to try our hands uh, at uh, Trilibs, an installment of Trilibs this week. It's going to be fine. Uh, it's going to be, we're going to try and uh, let it be a little up- uplifting. I've also, I don't think we've done this with just uh, two of you fellas participating. So um, I want to see how that goes. Uh, data. So uh, for those unfamiliar with this uh, this little riff, uh, Trilibs is our attempt at recreating, reimagining the world famous, the, the galaxy famous game known as Mad Libs, where you take a story that has some blanks that need to be filled in with various parts of speech. You fill in those blanks, but the people filling in those blanks don't necessarily know what's uh, what's at play, like what the actual story is about, what the particulars are. And so what I've done, you know, by the end of it, it'll be fun and silly and everybody has fun. Uh, um, very similar to what happens in Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Uh, but what I've got here, uh, I did whip up a little something somewhat inspired by Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, the movie we just finished talking about. Maybe you've heard of it, uh, but we'll we'll run through that uh, in the randomly chosen order of Jason and then Harry. doesn't really matter. We're just alternating between the two of you. Uh, we'll see how this goes. I've got, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll fill this in. We'll have a, we'll have a ball. It'll be a blast. Maybe probably Jason, starting with you. Can I please get a name? Uh, Dom. Dom. Uh, yeah. And are there any, while well, I fill that in, in a couple of places, are there any, uh, Doms in the real world you want to give a shout out to? Uh, not in the real world. Um, but, uh, in the video game Gears of War. I guess you Dom. could say a Dom is hard to find. <laughs> Good Dom is hard to find. Wow. Very cool. Um, thank you for that reference that I definitely understood. Over to Harry. Uh, could I get from you a, a type of relative? Ooh, great aunt. Great. You had that uh, very quick. Are there any great aunts, Harry, that you want to give a shout out Not to? Not really. Wait, have oh. I used great aunt before? I'll change it. Can I change I it? Nope. It's already etched in concrete. So. Uh, well, s- sorry for repeating I, myself, everybody. I'll I believe all. No, I, I, no, that's not what I was insinuating. I'm just like, you had that very quick. Oh, uh, I see. Like, that was a quick, quick off the draw. That was impressive. That is kind of weird. Especially since I don't think I have any great aunts. I'm sure I do. I don't really know what they are. Maybe that's why it came to just the fact that you don't have any like top of that you know of. Maybe they're out there somewhere, um, like a lost uh, hair in like the jungle situation. It would be my grandma or grandpa's uh, sister, right? That's mm-hmm. what a, that's what a great aunt is. Maybe the yearning for a great aunt in your life, truly, more presently what's, and actively, what's missing. is what it's like. It floated to the surface. Like, oh, great aunt, please, Cody. Um, that's not how you sound, but. <laughs> Uh, Jason, back to you. Can I please get uh, another name? You may, of course. I'm going to give you the name Brian. Brian, is that going to be you with an I or a Y? We're going to say Y, like Brian Adams. Wow. Because why not? You are the dad of the group, aren't you, Jason? Uh, That's what I thought of as well. Also, I don't know if this makes me the dad or what it makes me, but I was for a moment genuinely shocked 
for because I was like, wow, I had a friend in junior high named Dom, and I had a friend in junior high named Brian, and then I was like, wait, that's two names, and one of them's Brian. <laughs> that's not that statistically <laughs> unlikely, my dude. <laughs> but wait, so Harry, is the Fast and Furious franchise based off of your life? Is that I've, what I'm I've always suspected, but now I is this how you afford wow. that wonderful apartment in South Minneapolis? <laughs> Stolen, Stolen DVD DVDs, yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, speaking of Harry, Harry, from you, can I please get a uh, a type of body part? Ooh, let's go with the pelvis. <laughs> Not literally. Um, thank you, pelvis. Perfect. Got that. Moving down the line, Jason, from you, can I please get a noun? Uh, floor. Floor. Roger Dodger. I had Move. floors in my junior high. Okay. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> And most people have pelvic floors. Are you, J- uh, Harry? Are you telling me that modern architecture is based off of your childhood? That's right. This is, this is absurd. Uh, floor. Um, shout out to floors. Come on the pod, Harry. Can I get an adjective from you? Ooh. Um. Let's see. Quickly. Excellent. Uh. Do 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 do. Jason, a body part from you, if you please. Other uh, pee uh, uh, the PP. I'm gonna try and replicate that inflection I appreciate as it. best I can. Yeah, uh, Harry, a noun. Hmm. Um. Let's go with bear. Bear. Very good. Bear. 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 Moving down. Moving down. Uh. Oh, Jason. Here's one for you. Can I get a color? Thank you. I'm trying uh, to jazz up how I just, I don't know because it's just two of you. This is, we're, we gotta we gotta replicate this energy. We gotta <laughs> recreate the energy in the aggregate. That's we what I'm doing. Bring it back. Uh, I'm gonna go with indigo. Wow, indigo. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about the sh- the colors that shrimps can see, and I'm assuming that it's just various. No, I'm getting a lot of crazy looks. Oh, wait. Oh, you correctly identified that this story is shrimp themed. Um, <laughs> Shrimpathy for Mr. Shrimp. Shrimp. I, my brain is broken. Harry, that, a number. That, unless you had a quip to say. I did. Sorry. Uh, that, say the quip. That journey, or that that answer just took me on a journey because it was like, okay, so does Jason know something I don't know about shrimp where they can only <laughs> see certain colors? But then he said, I assume. So like that suggests to me that, that Jason assumed that, that there was a limited spectrum of color that shrimp could see, and it included indigo. The, <laughs> just a, a wild set of... Abs- Absolutely the opposite. Mantis shrimps perceive the world through 12 channels of color and can detect ultraviolet and polarized light, which are aspects of light humans cannot access okay. with their eyes. Awesome. So, so they, they see damn. way more than we do. They can see. I've always thought that about shrimp. They see what we can't, you know, <laughs> a, a deep wisdom, a wisdom of the sea. Um, Dang. I, well, that, that whole time I heard Indigo and I was like, oh, we're still stuck on the Princess Bride episode because <laughs> of Indigo Montoya. Uh, Harry, a number, if you please. Right, yeah, 69. <laughs> Uh, interesting. Any nice. any instances of sixty nine that you want to give a shout out to? Not on a family podcast, Cody. Nice. It sounds like Jason needs to mute Harry's mic. Return indeed. We will now return to Jason, who is going to give us a name. Uh, Mark. Uh, is that with a C or a K? With a K, as in Mark Sinclair. <laughs> I didn't know wow. didn't know a mark in junior high. Could we try that no one? No mark? No. Damn. Sorry. Ah, I'm so sorry. Wow. 
A Brian and a Dom. Out. A freaking Dom. A I dom. did. I knew a Dom. That's the man. The plot literally thickens uh, as we head back to Harry for a verb. Uh, let's see. Snowboards. <laughs> okay. Got it. Got it. Uh, it's, it's out of season, so it threw me off for a second. But um, not to pull back the curtain too far, but we're recording this in July. Uh, <laughs> Jason, uh, oh boy. Uh, can I get from you a type of dance? Uh, on mic and then can you recite a uh, type of dance <laughs> um, we're gonna go for uh, the Watusi what the fuck is that google uh, it my friend uh, you know what a counterpoint I won't <laughs> the, the Watusi um, was a, well it threw me up because you started going cha 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 and I was like okay the cha cha that's a dance but no the Watusi is, is pretty good um, I wrote a phonetic pronunciation for myself until i learned how to actually you probably got it spell. right <laughs> i can assure you i did not uh harry the name of an animated tv show please Ooh, gonna go with uh steven universe for some okay. reason okay yeah i don't know you're one of the biggest anime fans i know and you show steven universe no oh, gotta gotta keep the people guessing keep the people on their toes which is why jason I need a noun from you. Um, quarry. Quarry. It's a, excellent. It means two things. Yeah, I will give a shout out to, Where's, to the where quarry. Cody's where going for dinner. Yeah, yeah, that's. that's uh, <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, it's kind of. It's uh, very cool, but also extremely weird. That quarry <laughs> evokes yeah. such a rapid response within the circle <laughs> for that thing. Uh, I go to the to- uh, the quarry to shop at Target, so then I can also get Taco Bell, dear listener, because they're right next to each other. Um, the quarry. I'm going to move on. A little local humor. <laughs> yeah, a little, a little local insight. You know, uh, what? I, I saw. Um, didn't meet, but I saw Harmar Superstar at that Target the other day. That that guy, the one who was like credibly accused of sexual harassment and abuse a few Dang. years ago, yeah, he just lives huh. in the Northeast and farts around the Target. Yeah, um, Be- actually, beware, I literally. Guess. Yeah, uh, if you see Harmar Superstar, go ahead, uh, beat him up. You could probably do so. Uh, got a couple more here. We're over to Harry. From Harry, I need an exclamation. Something you would say is an exclamation. Harmar. <laughs> <laughs> all right that's me seeing uh, harmar superstar at targeting going to beat him up and you're sung, sung up. to the sung to the tune of seymour <laughs> really good uh jason from you can i please get uh an emotion and then once you're through with that can you please say a type of emotion for the purposes <laughs> of this game the joke literally never gets old i'm gonna stop saying literally it's, uh, it's, an emotion jason uh i'm gonna go for elated Elated. Mm, very good, very good. Or elation, and, I guess, as it might be. Whatever no, contextually appropriate. Yeah. I always I always um conjugate these uh in the ways that I need to. Y'all are giving me Cody's conjugations. That's it works with the syllables perfectly. Um they're they're saying that in the comments. Uh and Harry, last but not least, can I please get the name of a movie? Ooh, yeah. We're gonna go with uh, a land before time three. Uh, I don't remember the suffix to that particular one, but I think it had to something to do with the big freeze. All right, that is every that is everything I need for that, and I th- believe 
for the entirety of this round. If not, we'll just play it. We'll play it as it lies, as they say on the golf links. Tell I haven't been golfing in a while. Uh, so without further ado, I present to you all Trilibs colon Vengeance. <clears throat> Once upon a time, Dom had a great aunt named Brian. Brian needed a pelvis transplant urgently. Otherwise, they would risk certain floor. Dom did everything they could to accumulate money for the operation. Uh, this proved to be quick as they did not have full use of their uh, the PP. Uh, they worked long hours at the Bear Factory at least uh, until Dom was laid off. Desperate and out of options, Dom looked to make an arrangement on the indigo market, but things fell through and Dom was suddenly out $69. Nice. Dom also had a longtime partner named Mark. Mark came up with a plan of snowboarding Dom's former boss's daughter and demanding a ransom for a return. Hmm. Dom and Mark got to work and waited for the right moment to strike. At last, the opportunity came. Mark lured in the child by doing the Watusi, and together they all went back to Dom's apartment. Unexpectedly, the child favored Dom and Mark. Together, they watched old Steven Universe reruns and made quarry arts and crafts. After a short while, Dom's former boss tracked down the child to their apartment. The ex-boss burst through the front door and said, Harmar! Uh, Brian was understandably elated. They knew only one thing could smooth things over. That evening, everyone settled in for a screening of the film, The Land Before Time 3, The Big Freeze. And for a brief time, everyone was wealthy in all the right ways. The end. Wow. Thrilling from front to back. It's the land before time three, the time of the great giving, by the way. I found out. I believe it's the big freeze, actually. I'm trying to check your work there. I'm sorry for trying to do that all of the time. (laughs) It's one of my famous bits. I just, I get by on this. I used to be able to. We call you Jason Looper for a reason. To be um, specific, it's the big freeze because it's a a Spike Lee joint. He directed that one. (laughs) No. Uh huh. Uh, Man, oh man, I'm remembering now that. Wow, relevant to the conversation. You remember how Spike Lee did a fucking old boy? You remember that shit? Oh. Did you see <laughs> that? Shit? I don't because I never watched it. Yeah, I've never seen it either, but it's, I've heard it's, it's real not, bad. It's not good, brother. Yeah. It's not very hmm. good. He also did a Ganshin Hess, uh, which is a, apparently also oh, yeah. not very good. The Sweet Blood of Jesus, oh, I think it was called. Yeah, Man, These would be Patreon episode, uh, episodes for us once we uh, get a Patreon. <laughs> Sure. Uh, Every the that the silence you hear is us silently deciding that a Patreon is not the way to go. <laughs> please, please continue. Uh, those four guys in the room next door—they probably get together in OnlyFans, right? I mean, if they know about OnlyFans twenty years before it was started to take off. Uh, thank you so much for listening uh, to Try Love. Thank you for having uh, our episodes and on such a wonderful, lighthearted note, uh, Cody. As this movie was not wonderful or lighthearted, just very good. Uh, listen uh, to other episodes in our feed for more stuff from other. South Korean filmmakers and uh, from a lot of other filmmakers throughout uh, the ages. We have movies ranging from like, I think the newest one that's repertory was like The Raid maybe? And then we've got more recent stuff. Check out uh, Puff Puff Movie Pass. We've uh, started doing episodes about current run movies every now and then when we feel like it. Uh, but hey, just check it out. See if there are any movies you like there. And go check out Trilon.org to figure out if there are movies playing there that you want to see. Uh, get in touch with us at Trilove Podcast to ask anything about the show that you want to know uh, and just follow us for stupid bullshit there. If you know we can take up one of your allotted 600 um, data uses or whatever, I'm all not very up to speed on the thing. I haven't hit that cap lately. But uh, if Twitter's still around, follow us there at Try Love Podcast. If Twitter's still around, I honestly kind of hope it's not. Follow me at Nintendoofus on Twitter. 
I'm Cody Narvengeance. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. And I'm Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at PunishedTake. We really need the money, so we'll ask for exactly 26 million won. How conscientious is that, right? That money's nothing to them. But for us, it's a matter of life and death. Movement of capital maximizes the value of money. So it's not even a crime, don't you think? Oh, <laughs> 